Welcome to Brave Dynamics. This is your host, Jeremy Yao. Leadership is harder than it looks. As a proven founder and Harvard MBA, I interview courageous entrepreneurs, executives, and investors every week. I also share my frontline experiences, coaching insights, and own professional development journey. If you're stepping up as a new leader, founding a startup, or venturing into the great unknown, this is the podcast for you. Ryan Chu is a second-generation serial entrepreneur and a chief operating officer of Tribe, a deep technology, innovation, talent, and education platform supported by the Singapore government. Tribe's ecosystem is supported by some of the world's leading organizations, including AXA, BMW Group Asia, Citibank, Enterprise Singapore, EY, IBM, IMDA, Intel, MAS, Nielsen, PwC, R3, SG Innovate, Damasic, Ubisoft, WeBank, and other partners to build out a neutral and hyper-connected innovation platform. Prior to Tribe Accelerator, Ryan served as Managing Director, Asia-Pacific, and member of the Board of Director of Verloco, a Silicon Valley startup. In 12 months, he grew the company from inception to a team of 10, helping more than 100 SMEs and freelancers turn their passion into their profession. Ryan also spent several years in the startup scene, having founded several startups ranging from gaming apps to utility apps, including Fixer and Uber for car repairs. His previous startup was accelerated by Plug and Play, Mercedes, Singapore Press Holdings, Ideasync. His first gaming mobile app was acquired when he was 21. As a serial entrepreneur, he is on a mission to help build sustainable communities that will enable promising companies to leverage on new frontier technologies. Ryan is also a commissioned officer of the Singapore Armed Forces Military and recipient of the Commanding Officer Coin. Currently, he holds the rank of Captain in the Singapore Artillery. Hey Ryan, good to see you. Yeah, good to see you, Jeremy. Well, I'm so excited to share your journey. It's quite an incredible one. And yeah, times are good. Yep. And uh, congratulations on the new role again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For those who don't know, I've uh, recently joined Monk Hill Ventures, the leading Series A VC, uh, as they would say. Yes. Uh, and then we'll go from there. But in the meanwhile, you know, the story is all about you, Ryan. Okay. <laughs> Founded so many companies, you're now CEO, you're in blockchain. So tell us more, like, how would you share your leadership journey with those who don't know you yet? Maybe let me just paint a picture about uh, who am I uh, in terms of my entrepreneurial journey so far. So I started off a little bit early. I would say I founded my first app when I was about 20 years old. And this app is called Social Rates. It's kind of modeled after, if you can remember back then, there was this app called the uh, Hits Up app by Ellen DeGeneres. So essentially, one fine day, we would, I was just playing this with my friends. And I realized, for those who don't know, this app is a charades app where you have to kind of place your phone on your forehead with the screen facing your friends. And um, random celebrity names will pop up and your friends have to kind of act it out and you have to guess who exactly are they acting. So it's fun, but I found a problem in a sense because as I was playing with my friends, I realized that a lot of the celebrity names that pops up 
we don't recognize them because they are all American names, right? So there was a lot of skip, skip, next, you know, kind of thing. And then and when we do know, everybody knows it because uh, it's very obvious. Uh. So I thought, hey, this is a fun concept. Can I replicate this to localize it, to include local celebrity names and also, in fact, connect it to Facebook so that you can actually watch your friends mimic, you know, some of the people that you know. So that was the initial concept for social rates. So it got published and I moved on to my next app, which is called UTAP. So that was riding on kind of the trend of um, very challenging games like the Angry Bird back then and stuff like that. So it's actually a tap-tap game, puzzle game. And we got lucky with that. So I managed to sell it off. I made a little bit of money from that application itself. And that motivated me to keep diving into the tech space to learn more and more about how we can effective or meaningful applications that can interact with people. And also that, you know, got me some traction in terms of uh, building a brand uh, for myself uh, among my peers as the person who is able to, you know, bring an idea to life from scratch, right? I think back then I was one of the first few people that was able to do that. So that's my second app, right? And then the third app, I co-founded a mobile application called Fixer with a bunch of my army mates in university at the time. So we had this idea of allowing people to easily find trusted workshops, car workshops, car mechanics, wherever they are. So this problem, I think, started off when my one of my friends scratched his car and then he panicked because he couldn't call his dad, right? At the point, we, we were all young and then it's going to be very expensive to fix. He didn't know exactly what to do and he was extremely afraid of getting scammed by this industry. It's a little bit uh, a tricky industry to navigate, especially for a first-timer, first-time car driver. So this app primarily allows people to snap a picture and then you get quotations from curated workshops around you. And so that was actually, we participated in many accelerators with that particular startup, like SPH Plug and Play back then. And then we have the Mercedes Autobahn, we did the NTU, IGSA, and many, many more. And we also got lucky with that. We uh, were invested by SPH Plug and Play. And then back then it was called IDA. So that was a fixer. And uh, after Fixer, I actually moved on to join San Francisco-based startup called Veloco, where I was the uh, managing director for Southeast Asia. So I helped to build the team from scratch in Singapore. So within a year, we uh, managed to build the team up to about 10. And we had served and supported over 100 SMEs and freelancers in Singapore. So what Veloco is, is actually a booking management software la and a marketplace that allows your home bakers and staff and dancers, yoga instructors to have a booking system to manage their classes. At the same time, allows them to have a wider audience through the marketplace. So that was what I did for a while. And uh, after that, the entrepreneurial bug came to, to bite me again. And then I went to sort of co-found um, Tribe Accelerator with my longtime friend as well as my partner, Yiming. So we built the accelerator from scratch uh, because both of us were founders, right? We went through many, many different accelerators and we came together and we spoke about the industry. So Tribe Accelerator is actually the first blockchain accelerator that is supported by the Singapore government. So why we actually wanted to start that? Because we saw that there was a lot of mistrust and no kind of scam in the blockchain industry at that point of time. And with our collective experience as founders and having been through so many accelerator programs, we thought, hey, let's build something here to help some of these blockchain-based startups gain some legitimacy, you know, stand out from all the crowd of uh, the hype and the the so-called scam within the crypto space. So that's how I end up here. This is kind of my journey. 
Amazing. You've really done quite a lot. And we're both fob study under 30. <laughs> I guess that's a notch on the belt in that sense. But I think it just goes to show that you've done really quite a lot, especially with this recent tribe accelerator in terms of not just investing, but also accelerating a very important sector for Southeast Asia. Mm-hmm. So obviously, we want to get into that real soon. But I just wanted to kind of hear that you've always been very entrepreneurial and very much leader. I'm curious about how that all first got started from your perspective. Right. I would have to trace the start of my leadership journey back to SAF when I was at NSF, serving my national service full-time. So this story started after I graduated from the officer cadet school as a very young second lieutenant in the artillery formation. I was what we called a forward observer, which means that I would be tagged to a battalion of uh, infantry or guards battalion to be the liaison officer for the artillery gunship. So if you can imagine, usually the artillery gunship is very, very far away. But if you have watched enough war movie, you'll know that the first thing that people do is to you know, call in the support fire, bomb the place out before you, you know, storm the ground. So I was the guy doing the calling. And there was a team of us attached to each battalion. And this team is actually led by a captain called the fire support officer. So this man is usually very experienced artillery officer as well as being in multiple vocations. So my team leader was actually an amazing person, right? Uh, but unfortunately, during one of the exercises, he fell ill and uh, he had to drop out of the uh, exercise completely. And this was actually en route to our final test. For those uh, Singaporeans listening, it's, it's called ATAC, right? Where we have our final test of our ability to fight. He dropped out and by some stroke of luck, right? Actually, they were looking for my senior because I was a young, fresh second lieutenant. Right? So they were looking for my senior to take over but because of communication issue as per you know for those of us you, you know you know what i'm talking about right i was in touch with the commanding officer of the entire battalion first before the guy so he was like I, no mind you just come on so he gave me a kind of a battlefield quote-unquote battlefield promotion and then I, I took over as the fire support officer which is traditionally a, a captain and i was put in a very uncomfortable situation where i have to lead a bunch of my seniors as a young, new officer, it's very difficult to be put in that situation where you have someone who is more experienced than you, but having to listen to you. You have to gain their respect, gain their trust within a short period of time. At the same time, I was directly reporting to the commanding officer of the entire battalion. I sat in most of these you know, high-level meetings and stuff like that, and that was also how I got my first experience understanding why SAF does certain things, how this leadership and how this information permeates through the entire battalion to make sure that every single soul in the battalion is motivated to complete one single objective and how everything is orchestrated and planned and organized to the T. Although at the ground level, we more often than not cannot understand why certain things are done. I was in a position where I, I could learn. So I really appreciated that and I learned a lot from these commanders and these leaders. And that was what I would attribute a lot of my uh, leadership skill set to yeah, this particular <laughs> situation. That's so similar to so many, you know, Singaporean guys, myself included, where our very first true leadership experiencing, managing a group of people to tackle a mission very much came out from national service. I'm just kind of curious, I have my own thoughts on this, but first off, what things do you think translated well from national service and being, you know, military commander to the entrepreneurial journey that you would do later? What skills translated well? I have kind of five, uh, five high-level points that maybe I would like to share uh, on that. So the first thing, as a leader in the, in the SAF, you must 
be an effective uh, communicator for sure, right? Especially so if you are, you have to give orders clearly and in the fog of war or in the middle of the battle, the clearer you can give your instructions, the better. And I realized that actually being an effective communicator myself is not the end of being a strong communicator. It's also extremely important uh, as a leader to build communication processes whereby your team can communicate within itself effectively. So you kind of need to build this communication process and it translate into the startup scene because more often than not, you are managing uh, multiple projects, your team is managing multiple projects and it's extremely important for the team to be able to communicate within themselves and not having you be the one doing all the communication all the time. And this is extremely, extremely important in this time, right, where we are working mostly remotely and communication and over-communicating becomes even more important. So that was one of the things that translated well, being able to be an effective delegator. So being an effective delegator is also extremely important. But more often than not, you know, delegation, people have this perception that it's very simple. Like you just give someone else the task, like, right? You just offload your task. They say, you do this, you do this. I mean, it might work like, because you can scare them with push-ups, right? Confinement and stuff like that. But in the real world, it's not the case. So being an effective delegator, in my perspective, also means you have to have the ability to break down complicated tasks into bite-sized ones with very clear and specific goals yet leave room for the team to exercise their own discretion in uh, decision-making. So the ability to assign tasks to the team, not just based on their strengths and weaknesses, but also based on their current capacity. So that is what it means to be an effective delegator, not simply just, oh, okay, you do this, you do this. And also the ability to prioritize, that's number three. How do you identify the interdependencies uh, within each task to be able to prioritize which is more important and which is not the importance and impact of each task? As I always say to my team, is everything is urgent and nothing is urgent. So it's important for you as a leader to be able to help with the prioritization. Number four is very straightforward. Know your stuff. As a leader, you have to know your stuff. You have to know what you're talking about. If you're not marketing trained and you have to kind of lead as a COO, I have to lead the marketing team as well. I have to learn and read up on my own time and understand, you know, truly what exactly am I talking about? Because I'm sure many of you hearing or listening into this podcast, you can also you know, empathize. There are situations in your current role, in your current company where you say, huh? Why the boss say this? Uh, he doesn't even know what he's talking about. And then that leads to mistrust uh, within the leadership and, and for the, whoever you're supposed to lead. But it's also important to recognize that as a leader, you don't always know what you're talking about. You're never always the subject matter expert. So in this scenario, I would recommend you to just be honest and say, explain and ask for patience within the team when you ask more questions and take the time to learn. And don't try to expert them. And last but not least, as a leader, you must have incredible stamina. Because in the army, whenever after a mission, you know, your bags off, your helmets off, and then you just bang down, right? Who does the next planning for the next mission, right? As a leader, if you fail to do that, then your next mission is going to be horrible. Lah. So when everybody's bags off, helmets off, and, and resting in, their, in wherever they are, right? The leader has to find that extra 10, 20% in itself to say, no, I need to start planning for my next mission. I need to start to see what are the things that I can do to improve the current situation of my team. So you have to have that stamina and same for entrepreneurial journey, right? Whenever someone finishes a particular project and you'll be like, Phew, I'm done, I'm going to take leave, right? Block leave, you know, whatever. As the leader, you have to say, okay, now what's next? I need to pipeline this. I need to keep having the stamina to lead my team. So these are kind of the five things that I thought translated quite well. That's amazing. And 
That's probably one of the best categorizations of the learnings that I've ever heard from military service. Uh, and I think that's what's very true is that it's not just translatable for the Singapore military, but I also see many veterans from other countries with military service who bring the same set of skills and attitude to the entrepreneurial journey. I'm kind of curious, what would you say did not translate so well from the military to startup life? What would you say are the things that if you were recently left the military as a veteran or as a conscript from Singapore or you spent a longer stint there, what things would translate less and they should be mindful about how to be aware of it as well as to improve on it? Right. One thing the military is known for is their rigidity as well as the preference of using the stick over the carrot. So these are two things that really doesn't translate well. You can, like I said, I, I think I alluded to this a little bit earlier. You can't just bring the stick to someone in the real world, right? You say, what are you going to do to that guy if he doesn't listen to what you do? You have to empathize with him. You have to really sit down and understand what's the problem. And you can't just use threats. You can't just use punishments and sanctions to govern your team in the real world because it doesn't work. And it doesn't lead to effective leadership. It might lead to resentment. It might lead to a hatred and just poor motivation within the team to complete the task. That is one thing that we have to be aware of as leaders that, yes, there might be times where you have to use the stick instead of the carrot, but you have to be extremely mindful. And before you even go down that route, you must empathize. You must understand what exactly is the problem with your employee, whether he has a family issue, money issue, personal issue, whatever, before you jump in and try to make traps and stuff like that. So that is the part that I, I feel that tra doesn't translate well. And second thing, and very obviously, the rigidity of uh, the military, right? All these structures and stuff like that. In a startup, obviously, you can't have that because there are a lot of times where there are changes that bring about your growth. You have to maintain that flexibility to edit or change the structure fast so that you can accommodate the new changes, the new growth. As your team grow, there must be new processes in place. And you must have that, that flexibility to kind of change that. Having a very rigid structure to the point that all of our fuel pack are packed exactly the same is just not going to translate very well. That's really spot on because I think the rigidity of the hierarchy is because in the military, I always tell people it's because in war, there's attrition. Mm -hmm. And when there's attrition, people die. So the chain of command is built in a way to create resilience because if someone dies or is incapacitated, it's very clear who the next person to take over that person is. And then if that person also falls, someone else can take over because they were trained exactly the same way. And so every person is in some way modular, right? You know, every soldier can replace the other soldier if the person is killed in action, right? And so that's why the military is designed for that 500 layer resilience where as long as you are trained as a rifleman, it doesn't really matter from the chain of commands perspective, which rifleman is there, you're expected to perform the same way. But that doesn't happen in a startup because you're the opposite. You're so resource constrained that everybody has to do, do multiple work streams. So it's almost inverted pyramid around that. And so I'm not saying that the military is bad for being rigid in some ways. I think it's just a shadow of having that very resilient bench of people who are standardized and can are cross-trained to replace each other. But that's not true for startups where we just have to do everything. And I think the second thing to be mindful about, like you said, in militaries, both conscript and professional, you know, obviously people have made a multi-year commitment to the organization, right? 
And I think that what we see is that at the end of the day, even within the military, the better commanders are those who are very mindful about how they earn the respect of the team and how they think through the boundaries of what is great performance, what is good performance, and what is poor performance, and then setting out the consequences in advance, right? So I always say to people, it's not that armies have bad performance, it's just that they've also a spectrum, we see that as well. But definitely, I think it's amplified in the startup world, right? Where anybody can walk out anytime, right? You know, they can walk out tomorrow because they don't like what you just said. There's so many startups that are going to fight for that person's talent, right? Your great graphic designer, your great engineer. <laughs> so I think just being mindful about that is really important. And I think one thing I want for you to kind of articulate a bit more of course is, you know, you started sharing about how you take all these lessons and you've not only translated them as you know, a founder in your businesses, but also now as a COO at Tribe. And I think first of all, I just want to kind of articulate like, how do you articulate the COO role and what defines success for that role? And obviously not just for yourself, but what that role entails for someone who's thinking about that role. Right. So don't underestimate that question because it's actually an extremely important and also very difficult question to answer because there's no one size uh, fit all definition of what a CEO does if you look it up, right? So I think the best, or at least what works for me and my partner Yiming, right, is how we take on complementary roles. Right, he as the CEO, because I strongly believe that the company must have one leader to break the stalemate, to make sure that the team is aligned. You can't have multiple visions, you just have one. And I'm there to bring his vision to life. I think that is kind of my role. He talks to a lot of the external people, layers very closely with the Singapore government, with all our stakeholders. And he has to maintain that big picture vision of what we are going to be as a company. And it's my job to back him up fully 110% and to make sure that his vision is brought to life. So together, we manage the company this way. There's no like, a, oh, okay, strict you know role restriction between the two of us, but it's just how we operate, very complimentary. And I think uh, among all my startups and all the businesses and all the projects that I've been on, he's actually one of the most incredible person to work with. And to heart, I am extremely impressed with his work rate. I'm extremely impressed with the way he thinks, the way he manages the stakeholders. And this guy just continues to impress me all the time. So quite exciting to be on this journey with him. And how did you first meet him? I mean, everybody's always looking for a co-founder, right? Every week, someone's pinging me like, hey, I'm looking for a business co-founder. Hey, I'm looking for a technical co-founder. Hey, I'm looking for operations co-founder. So how did you meet your co-founder in this case? And do you have any tips for people searching? Well, the way I met him is not going to be a tip for many people because you wouldn't expect this. I actually met him in Poly a long time ago through a mutual friend of ours and we met up to go to Butter Factory. So for those who know what Butter Factory is, Butter Factory is actually a club. Back then it was very popular among the youth. I don't think it's around anymore. So he had the uh, prestigious Black Amex card that allows us to skip the queue. So that is my first encounter with this guy. And then after that, we kind of kept in contact. We went to the same artillery unit, in fact. And after that, he went to LSE uh, to further his uh, studies while I went to NTU. And then we reconnected again in the startup space. So I'm not saying that you should be looking for a co-founder in the clubs. <laughs> I don't think that's a good tip. What the tip would be in this case is to keep an open mind because you don't know where your next co-founder is going to come from. He can come from the club, <laughs> which is uh, in my case. 
That's so funny, and I definitely remember Butterfactory. <laughs> I similarly met my co-founder in secondary school. We were just like acquaintances, and we were both in like creative writing and poetry. So we knew of each other. You know, we hung out a few times, but not very close. And similar to you, actually, I actually met him, and we were in the same command course together. And I can't remember which operation it was, but I can't. We had to dig a fire trench together, and both of us just dug all night long because. The soil sucked, <laughs> and so we were like dig, 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 kind of fall asleep, but keep digging. But after I did that, I was just you know, and of course, all kinds of random stories there. I felt like I could really trust him, and we became really good friends after national service in the military, and we stayed in touch from there. And then years after university, that's when we reconnected and built our first company together. So I also concur about keeping an open mind to because when I first met him, I was like, I don't like his poetry. You know, mine is better. <laughs> and then very much time flies, right? So that's life. And I think one thing that's interesting, I'd love to hear more is there's something you say very true, right? It's like you have that trust, you have that relationship. You start talking about roles and being complementary. What would you say is something that you start out founding, obviously, with him, and then you've become a CEO as the team has scaled? So, how has that role of that COO role changed from your perspective, from like a team of two to now your larger team of you said about sixteen to twenty people? So, I'm just kind of curious, how does that role change from your perspective for the COO for a startup? For starters, there's a lot more fires to fight because now you have. Instead of two, it's relatively easier for us to align a team of two, right, to a particular objective. Right, we both agree that this is the way we're going to do it. We have each other's back one hundred percent, and then we just go ahead and do it. But as you expand your team, you realize that different people will always have different perspectives, and also the element of the broken telephone comes into play because when you pass down information or when information gets passed down, sometimes it just translates into something completely different. And then when you see the end product, I'm like, what the hell is this? It's not something that I've uh, imagined. And that's why I think one of the things I said was not just you being a good communicator, but also to build a very strong and robust communication process within the team. So communication is definitely uh, one of the biggest challenge and also one of the biggest change uh, because as your team expands, you know, you can expect this to be a bigger and bigger and bigger problem. So beyond that, it's also really to al align everybody's core values and what they believe in and how they work. So that and is starting to see a culture being formed. I think this is something that is relatively new even today for me. So I'm very excited to actually see how this uh, team grows. And my role has changed. I have to become a much better communicator. I have to fight more fires, right? I have to do a lot more coaching and mentoring as well. So you can help to bring the team up to speed. And I think primarily, this is one of the biggest change as the team grows. What's interesting, of course, is that you as a COO are standardizing processes, leading the operational side very much in some ways, nuts and bolts, but also being very practical about, you said, transforming vision of reality. And you're also doing that in a very fast emerging field, right, called blockchain, which is new in itself as a vertical, and it's even more new in Southeast Asia. So it's a little bit of a contrast, like this stabilizing force in a very fast-moving, turbulent vertical geography, right? So how do you feel about that? Is it like what you're bringing order to chaos? Or what is that feeling like? What do you think to yourself? 
You are absolutely spot on uh, with that characteristic of uh, bringing order to chaos. So I think for majority of my new hire, I do warn them and say you're stepping into a very organized mess for us because things change so fast. And the structures that we have in place, the processes that we have in place as we scale, they are bound to be broken and they're bound to, to have to be improved. So we have to update our processes almost every week. Like, for example, just from the tools that we use, right? We started off using just Slack and maybe the Google Drive, right? The very standard, easy stuff. And then we incorporated Notion. We tried out Monday. And now we have Discord in the mix. And there's so many different things. What's the best way? How do we optimize this? Every you know two, three months, we kind of sit down and review and how do we improve our internal processes from uh, bidding of a particular project all the way to executing it. How do we hand it over? Right, the very nitty-gritty nuts and bolts and stuff like that. And this is even more so in an environment that changes over every two, three months, like in the blockchain space, uh, where new blockchain emerges, we kind of need to study that. Okay, what's happening there? And uh, new projects come in because of these uh, changes, uh, uh, government projects, like when we designed the Singapore landscape map. So that was in itself very challenging because we have to create categories that were non-existent. And then we have to categorize completely new and innovative startups, right? Like creating like categories, like for example, let's talk about maybe Ethereum. How do you categorize that from an industry perspective? Because it cuts across industry. You can't just say it's FinTech because you know it can be applied to supply chain. It can be uh, applied to, you know, medical tech as well. So this inherently was very challenging for us. Somehow we managed to pull through. So you're right in describing it as an organized mess. Even as I'm saying it, I realize that it's kind of like an organized mess. Yeah, there's like a RT mission, right? Mm. One last question before we wrap up is, one thing you said earlier was you're very much about a leader has to know their stuff. So how do you learn stuff? How do you stay on top of it? How do you upgrade yourself in terms of skills and industry knowledge? What's that process or flows that you're looking at to improve yourself and keep on top of it in order to know your stuff for the team? So in the past, how I acquire knowledge is through reading, and I read a lot. I have an entire bookshelf behind me, but as we progress and as we grow, it's, it's just very impractical for me to digest knowledge through books because I just don't have the time. I know it sounds like an excuse. It might be an excuse, but I have transited into a leveraging a podcast, listening in to podcasts like yours, just to acquire knowledge really quickly. And also, I find it easy for me to learn new stuff by talking to people. So I constantly try to speak to people at the forefront of technology. So uh, if you guys are listening in and think that it's something that interesting that you want to speak to me about, you know, feel free uh, to reach out. But yeah, so I enjoy talking to people. And it's from these conversations that I'm able to string knowledge between different individuals of what they are saying and kind of build a perspective of what's happening out there in the market or what's happening out there in the street. Awesome. Thank you so much, Ryan. I just really appreciate you taking the time to share not just your knowledge, but also I think your thoughtfulness on what it means to be a strong leader and have that journey. Thank you so much for having me, Jeremy. I wish you all the best in your new role as well. <laughs>